Why does God allow suffering? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hero of the Story presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you focus on the gospel in every area of your life and ministry. I'm Aaron Armstrong, brand manager of The Gospel Project, and with me as always is Brian Dembozik, our managing editor. So Brian, today we are looking at an important prophecy in the book of Isaiah. Um, we are looking at Isaiah 49 through 55, but really camping out in uh, chapter 52, verse 13 through 53, verse 12. Um, and listeners, if you hear any background audio, there's a reason for that. We are recording this at the Etch Family Ministry Conference. Um, Live at Etch. Yes, yeah, something like that. Um, but not for you. It sounded really yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. It won't be live by the time you listen to this. <laughs> But technically, we're live whenever we record any of our podcasts. This is true. This is true. So, but, um, so, so this passage, many of you may be very familiar with it because it's a passage that we hear quoted a lot at Easter. Isn't that right? That's right. Yeah. So, um, so thinking about, we're going to jump right into the narrative of this. And I think one of the things that we need to remember first is that, um, the prophet Isaiah, that his ministry itself actually spanned multiple generations uh, through the land of Judah and through multiple kings. He was uh, he was a prophet during the reign of kings Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, and possibly one after that as well, depending on how you look at the timeline. Um, suffice it to say, he was a prophet for an unusually long time. Um, which is one of the reasons why there is some scholarly debate about about that that we don't need to worry about <laughs> all that much for our purposes today. Um, but one of the things that we also need to know about Isaiah is that um, he is quoted, and this book is quoted more times than any other prophet in the New Testament. Um, this is one of the reasons why the why Isaiah sometimes has the nickname of the of the fifth gospel because it's used so extensively throughout the New Testament and so much of it points so clearly to Jesus as we're going to see um, in our discussion today. Uh, Isaiah's visions, they dealt with judgment, repentance, idolatry, the, um, the promise of a restored creation, and ultimately the, the coming of the Messiah himself, the one that all scripture had been pointing toward from the very beginning and has been pointing toward, and whom we know ultimately um, is Jesus Christ himself. Um, So the passage that we're looking at is one of these. It's one of these passages that points to the coming of the Messiah and really what his ministry was going to be like, what was going to happen to him. And it was, so it was this message that was about this, this person who um, was the one that God had been promising all throughout the centuries. He was the one who would, who would crush the head of the serpent. He was the seed of Abraham who would bless all the nations. He was the son of David who was promised to rule forever. And this, um, this passage is actually on the tail end of four distinct passages dealing with this particular character that is named the, as the servant of the Lord. And we see these all through Isaiah 42 through 53, really. Um, 42, 1 to 4, 49, 1 to 6, 50, 4 to 7, and, and then this passage as well. 
Um, so for there to be so many significant passages dealing with this one individual, this is a good indication, I, I would think, that we need to pay really close attention to what is being said about this individual. Is that fair to say, Brian? Oh, without a doubt. And, and that's the thing you, you mentioned before, Aaron, rightly so, that this is, Isaiah is, is quoted so often in, in the Gospels. And probably most of us, when we think about the Messianic prophecies that we're familiar with, a lot of them are from Isaiah, whether mm-hmm. we, we recognize it or not. Uh, but we, there are some other uh, prophecies about being born in Bethlehem that, that you know, stand out as well. But it's yeah. the Isaiah prophecies that really, the virgin birth and so forth, that really resonate. So, so God used Isaiah in a powerful way to communicate that this Messiah was coming. And it makes sense. I mean, he prophesied over such a long period of time. So I, I think as we get ready to, to uh, shift our conversation toward our approach, as we're studying this text, getting ready for if we're pre- or teaching on this or, or uh, talking with our families about it, whatever context, or just our own personal study, what are some questions that we have to have in mind? What do we have to keep in mind? And that first question that, that is just, it's going to be obvious. right there. Yeah, it's right there, but we got to say it is, yeah. is why would God punish somebody else for the sins of his people? Right. It's, it's there. It's, it's, uh, we, we're used to what we'd consider fair would be, well, if you do something wrong, you're punished for it. Right. And it wouldn't be fair if I'm punished for you for doing something wrong. And so we've got to deal with this. We've got to understand that what God is, is saying here, he's pointing us to this, this truth that someone else mm-hmm. will be punished for his people. And of course, we know that is it is ultimately fair because punishment is still being dealt with. Yes, it is still being dished out. Uh, the sin, the injustice, still has consequences. It's just being paid by somebody else. As we know, we're going to get this in a minute. Yeah, but it's at the core of substitutionary atonement. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's a trigger word for some people, but uh, but I mean, it's there in scripture. It is and. Um, I mean, really, what we we need to recognize is that at the heart of Christ's work, um, while there's so much more that's going on, you don't have the gospel without without ultimately that that key element. Yeah. This uh, that Christ substituted Himself for His people. Yeah, our our sins were not just ignored. God did not forgive them by saying, "Okay, well, I I just won't have any punishment for right. them." Then, yeah, that's not fair. That's not just. No. Uh, he would be a liar at that point. He said, your sin will have consequences. Yeah. Um, and so punishment is required. The reason why we are not, and, and again, we can't water down what our punishment is. Our yeah. punishment should be to be separated from God for all of eternity. Right. Yeah. That is just. And so we, there's the, in God's amazing plan, he satisfies his justice. That is paid, but it's paid by Christ instead of us. That's right. That's right. And one of the things that um, is related to this question is is this idea that is a struggle for people with this this concept of substitution mm-hmm. is, well, if Jesus was innocent, why why would God punish someone who's innocent? We, we tend to, we don't, because we don't know how it works, we don't know what it's like, because it's, it's just too big for us to really yeah. comprehend this idea of Jesus being both a human being, 100% a human being, but also being 100% God. Whenever we look at, the, whenever we look at passages like this, um, we tend to err on the side of 
looking at Jesus just as a person. And so the question becomes, well, how is it, how is this right? How is, how is God good if he does this, if he punishes an innocent human being for this? And the truth is, if it, if Jesus was simply an innocent human being, it would be unjust, but we can't, but all, but everything that we see here is, is tied up in the fundamental being of God, that yeah. God is, um, you know, the, the technical term is triune, the, the doctrine of the Trinity, meaning simply that God is one, is one God who exists simultaneously as three distinct persons, all of whom are equally God, but are not each other. And so that is, and that's a mind bender. We yes. don't get how that works because there's no way for us to explain that adequately beyond what I just said. Yeah, so don't even try. The illustrations and all, don't, don't even go there. They all break down. They do. And we've got a video that's coming out in a couple of weeks on that, that, uh, that we give as best as we can what is hopefully the simplest explanation of this possible. And it has a handy dandy gra- diagram. So there we go. There you go. Um, so, but... So some people may hear terms like um, critically divine child abuse mm-hmm. and things like this. This is what this is the common um, attempt at a defeater argument against substitutionary atonement. Well, and that we can we can refute pretty quickly and yeah. easily because that assumes that Jesus was not willing. Right. But he was. Uh, he said, "Nobody takes my life. I, I lay it down." Yeah. He willingly, Hebrews says, with joy, he endured the cross. Yes. Joy because he knew it was bringing honor and glory to the Father, and he knew what it would accomplish. Yeah. So it's still, it was agony. He suffered, but he did so willingly, joyfully, in obedience to the Father. So it, you, can it be divine child abuse if, if the child is willing to take on? Right. And, and of course not. The answer is no. Um, there's so much here, and, and I mean... Nor, our normal format for this uh, for this show, it kind of breaks down on this passage because all of it is tied together. Um, because really, when we think about when we think about this topic, it always comes back to Jesus. Yeah. When we sometimes we have a um, hard time waiting to get to Jesus. This one, it's impossible right. for us not to. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but with this one, there's another there's another question that we should be asking, which does lead us into yeah. the thing we've already been talking about: is is there anyone in history who this passage could possibly have applied to in any way besides Jesus? And the answer is a hard and an firm, emphatic no. No. There's no one else in all of history that that resembles this person in any way. Jesus is the servant of the Lord. Which we have to keep in mind when we transition to our next, our final kind of conversation point about guidance as we teach or share this. Yeah. This idea is going to come back. Absolutely. It's really important. Absolutely. So, um, so getting into, before we get there, as we get into... I'm just trying to move us all the way forward. You know, I appreciate that. Thanks for listening to... Anyway. <laughs> this is not your episode no, to do the not. outro, so no. Um, but, flag on the flag. <laughs> but the question is, so we've already been talking about this, how this passage points to Jesus. And we, we do have to remember that, um, again... This passage is one of the reasons that Isaiah is lovingly referred to as the fifth gospel. Um, it is a passage that is impossible not to see, uh, not to see Jesus all throughout. 
I mean, if you just look at um, verses 52, uh, uh, 52, 13 through 53, 6. See, my servant will be successful. He will be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many of many were appalled at you, his appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man, and his form did not resemble a human being. So he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shutter their mouths because of him, and for they will see what he had, uh, what had not been told them, and they will understand what they had not heard. Who has believed what we uh, we have heard, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a plant and like a dry, like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that should that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he bore he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains but we in turn regarded him stricken struck down by god and afflicted and uh, but we, he was a he was pierced because of our rebellion crushed because of our iniquities punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds we all went astray like sheep we all have turned our, to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. This is that, this is that very common passage that we were very familiar with. And we're right to be familiar with. We're right, like we see Jesus. We're, we're um, particularly if we have been in, in the church for a, any significant period of time, we're kind of hardwired to see Jesus in this passage at this point, and for good reason, because it's so obviously about him. Um, but when we get to when we get to the next next couple of verses again, we see this as well. We see in uh, uh, seven to nine. Brian, can you? Read yeah, those real and, quick? and this is where I think a lot of people, and we're gonna I'm gonna jump ahead again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But especially if we're teaching this to a group, probably a lot of people are familiar with the story of Jesus more than they are with this passage initially. As you're talking about newer believers or yeah. maybe uh, believers who have not been in, in strong discipleship model churches. When This is one of those times where Isaiah's original audience, they of course were looking forward. They didn't have the complete story of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So they're hearing these things trying to... When we, What I'm about to read, when we hear these knowing the story of Jesus, it's so apparent yeah. that it's talking about him. So picking up in verse 7 from where you left off, Aaron, this is what we read. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shears, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment, and who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck down because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was not... But he was with a rich man at his death because he had not done, he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Right. So I mean, even though I didn't do the best job of reading it, that's all right. we see there, I mean, the silence and we look at the gospel accounts and that's abundantly clear. We see him being buried in Joseph of Arimathea's grave. We see this. So again, if we understand the gospel's narrative of what happens and we read this, it's like, oh, clearly that's talking about Jesus. Right. Right. And one of the things that we, we need to remember in this is, is that when you put all of these together, um, you know, a, 
you know, an alternative argument might be something like, well, Jesus knew the knew these things, so of course he 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 set about planning for all of this to happen. And it's like when you hear stuff like that, you just kind of got to ask people to give their heads a shake. Because think about the level of intricate planning that you would have to do to orchestrate all of these things yeah. to happen so precisely. But to be fair, to a degree, there's some truth to that. Some he could not have, like his birth. He, he sure. could not have manufactured where he was born or his, his family ancestry, of course. Correct. But let's suppose that he kept silent for a reason because he knew this Isaiah prophecy and wanted to fulfill it. What does that say about his claims of who he was? It's a claim that he is the yes. Messiah. He is clearly identifying himself as the Messiah. So either way, it strengthens the case. Right. And you couple them together, the, the prophecies he could not have manufactured with any that he may have manufactured, that's a stronger case that he is indeed the Messiah. Right. And when we when we think about that manufacturing aspect, one thing that we, we do have to recognize is that it's like, well, God, God planned all of this from the beginning. Yes. Before the foundations of the, of, of the earth... Before he made anything, Ephesians yeah. 1 tells us that that the Father and the Son were planning out all of this. Yes. And, and this one, to speak to this point, those two prophecies that you see that I just read, keeping silent, he could have manufactured, but could, did he choose the grave he was buried in? No. No. So right there you see both. If Even if you want to say, well, the first one doesn't impress me because he made that happen— well, he couldn't have done the second one. Right. And then we get to the next one. Um, when we get to verses um, 10 through 12, um, again, verse 10 is going to be very familiar for people because we read this one a lot. But the next two, maybe less so. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed, he will prolong his days, and by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. After his anguish, this is important, after his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant, this is God speaking now, will justify many and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion and he will receive the mighty as spoil because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels, yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. This is, we, we tend to stop at verse 10. And yet, verse 11 is, is the payoff. Verse 11 and 12 are the payoff of the but, whole thing. It is true, but to be fair, there's a lot here. There so is, So I think absolutely. a lot of times you're like, my head is already swimming. I know. I know. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast are already tuned out at this point. Well, that's, that's kind of a given anyway. Hey, now. Hey, now. Um, but these last two these last two verses in particular they're all yeah. about the resurrection and again you, you talk about the things that Jesus could do on his own he couldn't have done that that's yeah, not not something that you can fake and the, and it goes back to our previous conversation about you know divine child abuse yeah and I mentioned before that Hebrews says it was the joy that Christ endured the cross here we see it was God the Father's pleasure to crush Christ. That makes sense in light of what we just read, the divine payoff of mm -hmm. resurrection. Absolutely. If there was no resurrection, 
then the cross was terrible. Exactly. It did nothing, ultimately. Exactly. So when we have to look at it all together. We can't look at the cross without the tomb. Yeah. And we understand God, of course, knew what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. It, again, we don't don't water down the suffering of Jesus, his right. humanity. He felt this pain. He felt separation from the Father. This was a horrendous act. Mm-hmm. But we cannot divorce the act of the cross from the act of the resurrection. Right. That is the glory of God on full display, beautiful mm-hmm. display. And that is why it was joyful for Christ to endure this. That's why it was a pleasure for the Father, because he knew what this would bring about. Not only the resurrection of Christ, but the resurrection of those who trust in Christ to be with him for eternity, restoring relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Brian, this is the moment you've been waiting for. Yes. Let's think about how we... we would encourage what guidance we could offer to someone who is discipling uh, another person. Yeah, I think for that context, whether it's one-on-one or, or whether a group, whatever the context is, I think we have to first consider how familiar is the other person or people, how familiar are they with this text, mm-hmm. with these prophecies. Don't assume that they understand them. Take your time walking through them as, as we half jokingly half seriously said there's a lot here yeah and so don't rush through it Uh, this is one you want to make sure that the pictures that are presented by isaiah are understood and those dots are connected um it it could be challenging and so take your time through it yeah absolutely absolutely and another another thing that we we should be doing is asking asking the people that we're that we're we're talking with that we're working working through these things with about this idea of substitution that's all throughout this passage again we talked about this that um interestingly i think the place that you'll have the least difficult time is with kids yeah kids just kind of get this stuff a little more intuitively than than we do um they don't have as much baggage that they're carrying around um, with defeater arguments and whatnot. But for well, adults... It, 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 kids are not as cynical. I think what happens is for yeah. adults, it breaks down because we are okay with substitution for ourselves. We're not okay with substitution for people we don't like. Yes. And so it's that really bad person. You mean, wait a minute, it's not fair that that really bad person doesn't have to pay for his sins. That's where it breaks down. And kids don't think that way no. generally. No, generally. I mean, they, but they have very concrete senses of yes. right and wrong. Yeah. And, um, and that's why it's right. Okay. So yeah. if I did, if I deserve punishment, if I deserve a timeout and somebody else pays the timeout for me, okay. Yeah. They, they can understand that concept more. It's cleaner for them. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But so for adults, there's a lot of, there's a lot of baggage that yeah. you just have to work through very patiently and be, and, and be very sensitive to. Um, sin, likewise, is a huge area of discussion in this passage, um, largely because we see the consequences of sin on display yeah. so profoundly here. Yeah, and I, and I think the other uh, suggestion I would offer is, uh, as we talked about a minute ago, don't miss that good news at the end. This is especially, again, important for uh, somebody who may be newer to their faith, or if you are uh, not discipling, but you are trying to lead a person into trusting in Christ, mm-hmm. uh, some evangelism kind of efforts, and, and you are explaining this to somebody, there is easily the potential for them to push back on this as we talked about, wait a minute, this, this, that seems like a bar. I don't want to serve that God. He sounds barbaric to make his son endure these things. 
And so we've got to make sure we get to that good news at the end of the resurrection. Yeah, absolutely. And Brian, that's a great place for us to wrap up this conversation. Um, So uh, thanks for listening to today's episode of the podcast. And Brian, thanks for discussing this. Um, If you enjoyed this episode, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.